Hello, welcome. Thanks for being at Open Life today. I'm Jaden. I am one of the pastors here at Open Life Bonnie Lake. And can I just say it's good to be back, back at uh, Bonnie Lake, having um, taking two weeks off and being at Sumner last week. It's good to kind of just get back into the normal flow of things. I really wish that um, I could see some Seahawks jerseys today, and I wish I could be up here in my Packers jersey, and we could be going for like a rematch of last year. But unfortunately, both of our teams lost last week, and so if you need to write on your connection card, I'm still in mourning from the last things, the the events of last weekend. You can do that. Um, we'll we'll pray for you, um, just because you know you deserve to be happy, and so. Um, It was just cool. One of the things I loved is just that getting to kind of bring and get to, I've never been to the Sumner campus before. I've only seen it because I'm usually here every Sunday morning. And so it was kind of cool to see um, just how everything goes down there and just to see different people, faces that I've never met before. And so it was cool. Um, If you weren't able to be there last week, um, it was a spur of the moment, like within a week thing, because we didn't know exactly how we were going to handle everything. And so um, if we ever do that in the future, make it a priority to be there. And if we ever do it again, we'll probably have like a month's in advance um, promotion and be able to let you know. Although if it ever did snow, um, we might just cancel service here and have service down there because they don't have a huge long walkway to um, push carts on. So we might just say, hey, everyone go to Sumner. So if it ever snows, you know, we might do that. Um, but just, you know, that's why you should follow us on social media, follow, get the app because we post all those things on there. Easy for you to know. But so last week we've been going through our Love Does series And um, if you haven't gotten a book, we have them at the back on your way out. And then I just want to point out on there is to be sure if you have a story of like how you've been impacted by the book or you've done something different in your life from the series or from what you've read in the book, we love to hear those stories. And on there is directions on how you can share those easily and just to be able to tell us and communicate what is God doing in your life as you've been going through the series and reading the book together. And so last week we looked at who is our neighbor and what happens when our enemies become our neighbors. And so we were challenged to love people as a neighbor under um, Jesus' definition of loving your neighbor. And it was just um, really like a thing for you to really think like, okay, who is my neighbor? And as we read in the story, I'm going to read the setup um, to the story again. Um, But in Luke 10, 25 through 29, there's an expert in the teaching of the law, and he's basically asking that question, well, who is my neighbor? So let's read that really quick. Luke 10, 25 through 29 says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And so that's all we read last week, and that's really what Thad um, talked about um, for the whole service, is just who is my neighbor? And so if you didn't get to hear that, we'd encourage you to go listen to that so that you can track with where the whole series has been coming from. And so today, we're just going to take it the next step further in the... um, 
in, in the story about talking about the Good Samaritan. And so the dialogue, all of this dialogue between Jesus and this expert in the law is the story of the Good Samaritan. And that we're, um, we're going to read that in just a second, but it's a story that Jesus says as an answer to the question that the, the expert in the law said. He said, who is my neighbor? And instead of just giving him a list of people that are his neighbor, Jesus just tells him a story. And so since we are doing five weeks on, on really this story, um, it really is important to keep in mind that the weight of eternal life is what this is all about. How this conversation started, how this Good Samaritan story came about is from the first question of the, of the guy saying, you know, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And so it's not just a, this is how you should live as the Samaritan. This is how you should be more and more like the Samaritan conversation. It's more of a, this is what life is all about type of conversation. And so basically, it, get, it comes, boils down to love God with all you got, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two main things that he told Jesus. And Jesus tells him he's correct. And, and so what I was asking when I was reading the, the story over and over again this week is, could the conversation have ended just right there? Could have they have gone, have, could have they just, you know, okay, well, that's, that's a good answer. I should love God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind, and all my strength, and I should love my neighbor as myself. I think that pretty much answered the question. But the next question that um, the guy asked really reveals his heart for the matter, and, and the fact that the Bible says he wanted to justify himself. So basically, he's trying to trap Jesus. He's trying to, like, prove a point, and so he's like, and who is my neighbor? And so I get in, I, in my brain, I just think of the most snarkiest, you know, voice of like, well, and who is my neighbor? You know, like, oh, uh, and maybe that's not super snarky. I could probably do more naturally if I, you know, was really, like, you know, passionate about it. And um, if it was a true thing, I can be snarky sometimes. Um, just ask my wife. She's in the back. Um, but, um, but it communicates that the expert thought that he had already hit his list of shoulds. I think it communicates that the ruler or the expert in the teaching really thought that, well, you know, I love God with everything. I love my neighbor. And so he's trying to get Jesus to prove a point. And so in, in light of eternity, in, in light of the first question that we're talking about is eternal life, Jesus, through the story of the Good Samaritan, flips the question from who is my neighbor to who has been a neighbor to you. That's what he's trying to communicate to the man is, who has been a neighbor to you? And so for us, we have to ask ourselves, who has been a neighbor to us? And so the big idea today is that Jesus leads you to get involved when it's easier to walk away. Jesus leads you to get involved when it's easier to walk away. And so this really has a lot to do with the Good Samaritan story. And so the reason that Jesus tells the story is because it exemplifies how God sees us as his neighbor. Really what the story is about is how life and sin have left us dead on the side of the road and religion passes us by, but Jesus stops and heals us, meets our need, and makes us whole again through his love. And so today we're going to read about two people, just two people. We're not even going to really hit on the Good Samaritan other than just to bring him up. But we're going to look at two people that just walked on the other side of the road. That just, that just you know, gave no, no thought to the man that was beaten, that was hurt on the side of the road, just sitting there. 
And so it would have been easy for God to just walk away if we're thinking about in the grand scheme of things, if we're thinking about God and his relationship with people before he sent Jesus. It would have been easy for him to just walk away. But instead, God sees us as his neighbor, sends Jesus to take care of us. And so in this story, we become not the good Samaritan right now, but we become the man on the side of the road, and we see God's love exemplified through the Good Samaritan, by God sending Jesus to us. And so let's read this story uh, together in Luke 10, 30 through 33. So Jesus replied to the question of who is my neighbor, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. Dot, dot, dot. Because that's what we'll read about next week. But a despised Samaritan came along. Why was the Samaritan despised? And so, just a little history. We read in the Old Testament that the kingdom of Israel is split into two, um, into a north kingdom and a south kingdom, and that's in 1 Kings 12. And so then in 722 BC, Samaria, um, as it is known now, which is the north, falls to a group of people called the Assyrians. And so as a result, a bunch of non-Jewish people come into the area, and there is this intermarriage between the Jews and the non-Jews. And so then you have the people of the south who also were in this time of turmoil, but they actually got exiled to Babylon. And so there's this time where they leave, but then come back. But the whole time that they were doing that, they tried to stay as one. They didn't intermarry with the people that they were with, and they were still would be considered a pure Jewish people in the south. And so as a result, as a result of this, you have the Jewish south harboring incredible amounts of disdain and hatred for the Samaritans of the north, who basically that they thought compri- compromised their beliefs. They were basically seen as, as half-breeds because they intermarried and basically lost the things that they had um, held as important in the past. And so just to give you an example or to understand how much the Jews of the South hated the Samaritans, it's it's the kind of thing where you would literally, instead of walking through just to like pass through a city, they would literally walk around miles and miles out of the way to get past to the other side because they had so much hatred, so much disdain um, for 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 those people, and so and so it's it's this. Jesus specifically uses the Samaritan to exemplify what he's trying to say about who your neighbor is. And so the story of the Good Samaritan is that two people who had no reason to hate the man on the side of the road just walked on the other side. But a man that should have hated this man that was beaten on the side of the road is actually the one who came and saved, who came and cared for, who met the needs of the man on the side of the road. There should have been hatred there, but he chose to meet the needs. And so in the story, the goat becomes the hero, and those two heroes that should have been the heroes, they become the goats. And so today we're not talking about anything about what the Samaritan did, but today is about the priest and the temple assistant that did nothing. Today is all about how not to be the people that walk on the other side. 
And so when we're talking about the priest and we're talking about the temple assistant in the story, we have to look and kind of understand their situation and what Jesus is trying to explain in this story. And so with the priest, you, you see, you hear that he's coming along the same road. He's, he's walking by. He, he could be going to Jerusalem rather than coming from. But maybe he actually had a really good reason in his mind not to help. Maybe, you know, he's on his way to do his priestly duties, you know, and he, he's a busy guy. He, you know, he doesn't have time to, to go and be with that man. He has to go, he has to go give a sacrifice. He's going to go do something that, that should be a good thing, and so he doesn't have time for this other thing because he's, he has to go do his religious duties. He would, have ha- he would have had to get his hands dirty. And so if you don't know about, you know, uh, the law of this time, this could have been, um, if, if you basically, there were even some rules that it's not just if you touched a, a dead body or, or someone who is sick or someone who is hurting, that you would become unclean. But if you were even in the shadow of a dead body. And so if you're walking by someone and you think there's a chance that might be dead, do you really want to become unclean and have to go through the rituals of becoming clean again? This priest didn't want to do that. And so basically, he's basically saying he makes a conscious choice as he's walking down the path, sees the man. He's like, I'm unwilling to love my neighbor as myself. I'm unwilling to love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to walk on the other side of the road. And so then you have the temple assistant, and, you know, he probably also has a good reason not to, to help the person. You know, he, he maybe has the same rituals and du- duties as the priest, putting future maybe, but they, may, maybe this time he's trying to become a priest. So, you know, he can't, he can't make himself unclean because then the priests are going to know. Then he can't help them, and then, you know, his future aspirations get in the way of this current moment when he should be helping a person in need. He's distracted by things that he thinks are better or more worth his time. He, again, is choosing, I'm unwilling to love my neighbor as myself. And so, in either case, wouldn't you think that in the role reversal of this story, if the priests or the temple assistant were on the side of the road, don't you think they would want the man just walking on his way to come over and help them, to come care for them, to come meet their needs and get them back on their feet? And so today, each of us are on the same path as someone in our lives who maybe is beaten, maybe they've been tired, maybe they're laying half dead in life. And you know, I'm not talking, you know, literally, physically, but maybe you know someone who's going through a rough ride. Maybe you know someone who's sick or hurting, and they're just, you know, and if you're going to compare them to the life, they're just on the side of the road just waiting for someone to help. And so they're on your path. And so today the question is, are we going to be people? Are we going to be like the priests and the temple assistant who just walk on the other side? Are we going to be people who get involved, get invested, and figure out what we can do? And so maybe we pray a lot, God, please just send someone who is able to help them. God, please help them because I don't want to go do that. God, please send someone else. I'm not equipped. I'm not gifted for this. You know, we use these as excuses. Well, I'm praying for them, so I don't really have to do anything else. But what if we took our prayers and we put action to them? What if instead of just loving them and praying for them, we actually 
did with the title of the book and the title of the series is, what if we actually made love do something and helped people? And so there are people we're going to see this week that are on a path that may or may not need our help. And so today's thoughts are choices that we can make this week. And so choices that we make today for God to work through us later. Choices that we can make today for God to help work through us later. And so what are the choices that we have to make to not become the priest, not to become the temple assistant? And so the first choice that we're going to talk about today is that Jesus gets to interrupt my life. It's a choice. Does Jesus get to interrupt your, your life? That's a choice that you can make today. Oftentimes, whenever we see Jesus doing a miracle in Scripture, it's because of an interruption. If you look through the passages about Jesus and the miracles that he does, he's often on his way somewhere, and someone interrupts him, and it's a time for a miracle. He's trying to teach people, and then someone pipes in or, or makes an interjection, and, and Jesus is left with an interruption, but then he does something. He teaches people, or he, he causes this miracle, and then people are amazed. He even, you know, those, one of my favorite stories is when he's walking through a crowd, and someone touches the, the side of his cloak, and immediately that woman is healed. That's an interruption. It's not like Jesus had intended. That wasn't his plan. But then there's this interruption, and the power of Jesus is shown in the situation. And so the question for you today is, can Jesus interrupt your life? If you can't be interrupted, you might not be able to love people. If you can't be interrupted, you might not be able to love people. Part of being interrupted is understanding that Jesus is Lord. He's the master. He's the ruler of my time. I'm going to let him have say over the things that I do, the, the things that I invest my time, my efforts, all of those things. He's going to be the Lord of that. And the first thing that God wants to give is our time oftentimes, to just make the choice to take a step forward. And I think when you're talking about time, I've been in this weird like mood of just thinking about, you know, like when you're a 10-year-old kid, a year is like 10% of your life. And then, and like, that's a substantial, so that's a substantial time. But then as a 30-year-old, as I'll be turning this year, like, it takes three years to get to 10% of my life. So that's a little bit longer, and so, like, I can think differently because of that. But time is constantly moving. It's not like you ever get time back. It's like, you know, we only have an hour and 10 minutes here on Sundays. It's not like we can do anything to stretch that out. It's always going to be an hour and 10 minutes unless someone talks really long. But then that means we're, we're adding more into it. And so it's just like, how do we hold on to time? You can't hold on to it. It's always like, you know, I, you wish you could just, you know, hey, here's 10 minutes. I'm just going to slide that to the end of the week. Here's 20 minutes, you know, and you wish you could do all these things. And then, hey, look, I got four hours of saved time. I'm just going to take a nap, you know. But that's not how it works. And sometimes we wish it could. And so there's three aspects of time I just want to hit on really quick. And the first one is moments. Are you going to let Jesus interrupt your time in a split moment to be able to say, you know what, you need to go do that. You need to help that coworker of yours, or you need to do something extra special for your wife, or, you know, you need to invest in your children this week, even though it's an interruption for what you had planned for the day. And then number two is 
my plans. And so this is what I'm talking about more of like years or five years or 10 years or maybe your lifetime goals and plans. Are you willing to let Jesus interrupt those really strong and held things in your life to interrupt those to say, you know what, I'm calling you go to do something different. Would you be willing to change your career because you think that that's what Jesus is calling you to do? Would you be willing, be willing to go overseas and invest into a different people group because you really felt like that's what Jesus was calling you to do? And it's like, if you hold on so tightly to your time and your plans and your, your retirement funds and things like that, then you really become uninterruptible, if that's a word. But you become really closed off to God interrupting your life and your plans. And so the third one, kind of separately, but another aspect of time is like your cell phone. How much do you invest looking on Facebook? And it's crazy. You know, I wake up in the morning and then for whatever reason, I have to like check Twitter. You know, cause like what cool, awesome thing could have happened overnight that I just have to check Twitter first thing or Facebook. And then what's really annoying is like all those like memory posts of like, you did this eight years ago, you know, on Facebook. And it's just like, I wrote eight, nine years ago, like, Jaden is having fun. And Facebook wanted to tell me that and to share it and tell everyone. I was like, this is, this is stupid. This is what I invest my time into. But when you're at a restaurant, when you're at the dinner table, when you're, you know, supposed to be spending time with your wife watching a TV show, are you on your phone just flipping through? It's fine, you know, yeah, I'm just doing this. When you're driving, you know, that's not safe. I will say, I, I was at a stop sign, or no, I was at a red light, and so I just, I just checked Twitter really quick. I'm really good about putting it down, though, once it turns green, but I still think, I heard that's still illegal. So, but the light turns green, and so I, I like, look down, put my phone down, and drive, and all of a sudden, this car speeds through the intersection, and Danny's in the car with me, and so I, I you know, just pound on my horn, like, really loud. And so we're driving, we drive through, and I'm like, Danny, Twitter saved my life. I'm like, this is proof that you can tweet and drive. I'm like, we would have died. And specifically, I would have died because it was going to hit me. And so I, I really, I didn't want to share that because I don't want to encourage people to be on their phones and their cars. But it helped that one time. But don't do that. So... Students who are just learning to drive, keep the phones under the seats, you know, put it in the back. Just throw it. And when you get in the car, just throw it in the back and find it when you get to your location. But all I said, what do we invest our time? Are we interruptible? What would happen if our busy lives began to see the face of Christ in other people? Do you look at people, your coworkers, your friends, your family, and see the face of Jesus in their eyes, in their faces? That's what Jesus said uh, to example. He said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've actually done unto me. And so it's like, do, does, does that actually happen? When I walk by someone on the side of the road or I'm at the check stand in a store and I see the person waiting me and they look tired, they look broken, do I see the face of Jesus in them or do I just see just another person I'm going to ignore. 
Am I willing to be interrupted to encourage them? So choice number two is I'm not trying to play it safe. What is the number one prayer we always pray all the time? It's God, keep me safe. But what if we, instead of asking God, keep us safe, we started to ask God, give me courage. What if we turned our prayers from God, just, you know, make everything okay, to God, just give me courage to face these situations, to walk forward, to get into the messy stuff of other people's lives and be a change that they need in their lives. The priest and the Levite probably thought about the danger that could have happened to them going over to the side of the road and and helping this person. But we do it all the time. God, send someone else. God, I pray for, you know, those orphans in Africa. God, I pray for, you know, that church that we help in Indonesia. Just send people to them. God, thank you for sending those people so I don't have to. God, thank you that I don't have to deal with that stuff. How many excuses do we give God in the, in the realm of praying? God, just send someone else. When really we should say, God, give me the courage to go forward and to do something in someone's life. And so I wonder if the Samaritan wasn't thinking about his own well-being, but the other person's, because he saw the face of Christ in the man on the side of the road. The Samaritan, the hated one, sees something different that the priest and the temple assistant didn't have time for. And instead of saying, God, just keep me safe, he said, God, give me courage to meet this man's need. Choice number three is I can't fix people, but I can be with them. That's a choice that we can make today. And I think it's like there's this need in all of us to want to constantly fix people, to, to like say, you know what, I'm going to help this person out and, you know, everything's going to be great afterwards. And is, is it possible that we put so many barriers to keep people away that we've forgotten how to just be with people? that we, we force people to become something different because we want to see improvement in their lives before that we're willing to just be with them. I think people with sickness and serious illnesses kind of get the raw end of this deal all the time is because when, you know, people, when you first are sick, people really want to help and be involved and invested, but when they find out that, you know, your prayers aren't really helping the way that you want them to help, or if, you know, there's just no end in sight, I'm not, I'm not going to be cured anytime soon, then you find out who the people are that are truly invested versus the people that just, you know, I'll pray for you, but I'm not willing to be with you. I want you to get fixed if I'm going to be in relationship with you. And so this idea of should, should I do this, should I do that, it really fights this choice the hardest. When we think about being religious in the list of shoulds that we, we should do, we quickly get to an outcome-based phase where we say, well, you know, like, I'm only going to be with someone if, if, like, I, if, they let them, if they let me pray for them. When we think we should go to be with people in their action, it becomes very outcome-based. I should go help them, and then everything will be better. But sometimes that just isn't an option. Maybe the person doesn't even know God, know who Jesus is. Is it really appropriate to just first thing, oh, let me just pray for you. You weird them out, and you lose the opportunity to just be with them and to meet their need and connect with them. You can always pray for someone on your own and maybe pray for the opportunity to pray with them specifically in a moment. But do we let... 
Do we let those things, those hindrances, get in the way of just being with people, connecting with them, and saying, I'll sit with you in this mess. You have someone to be anchored to. I'm going to walk, you, walk through this with you. And so then choice number four, and the last choice, is my neighbor is the person that God puts in my path. And so another kind of one of those obvious things that we talked about late last week, but my neighbor is the one that God puts in my path. And so who do you walk by each day that you know needs some, you fill in the blank, that needs some encouragement? Who do you know that just needs an ear to sound off to? Who do you know that maybe just needs some help with money? Who do you know that needs help in their home for cleaning? Who do you know that that could just use a, a, a meal brought to their house being cared for? Or maybe their house cleaned. And so in the Jewish faith, your neighbor was a fellow Jewish person. But the Jewish priest and the temple assistant wouldn't even help their neighbor. This man on the side of the road was a Jewish person. The Jewish priest and the Jewish temple assistant were Jewish as well. And so they should have been the first person to help this person on the side of the road. And so Jesus tells this story. He redefines the definition of neighbor, makes the enemy the hero, and widens our hearts in the process as to who is my neighbor. And so hopefully when you hear this story, you think, you know what, this is a a pretty awesome story. And the way to do that is to maybe today, later today, you'll contextualize this for your life. And so my question for you is if you were to tell the story of the Good Samaritan based upon your own life, what enemy of yours would become your hero? Jesus picked a Samaritan because the Jewish people hated them. And in a stroke of irony, how do we all know the Samaritan now? We know him as the good Samaritan. Jesus never said good Samaritan. He just called him a Samaritan. And now we know it as the good Samaritan. But for you in your life, which enemy would be in your story, that it would be so humbling if they were the one to save you if you were on the side of the road. If you're going through something in your life, what enemy in your life would be so humbling that they came and met your needs? And so maybe your story would be called the good Democrat or the good Republican because you have so much disdain for the other party that you can't imagine them coming to help you. Think about different other people groups that you could put in this list. We all have those things that we would say, they would never come and help me in that situation. But that's why Jesus uses them in the story. The good immigrant. The good Syrian. When we talk about those things, when we think about people that would be least likely to help us, that's what Jesus was telling to the Jewish people, is that there is a good Samaritan here to help you. And so, in closing, as the worship team comes up, who is God going to put in your path this week and you see the face of Christ in them? That you would decide to pray for courage to meet their need rather than praying, God, just keep me safe and send someone else. 
And so you may not feel that you can do everything to fix them and help them, but maybe God isn't asking you to do something specific. God's just asking you, you know what, go be with them and be a friend to them, be a neighbor to them. Maybe it's the person in your own family. Maybe it's the person that sits right next to you at work. And so when you make these choices, you'll be interrupted. You'll see the face of Jesus in them. And maybe God's going to have a story for you at the end of next week because you let your life be interrupted for a moment. And you said, I'm willing to do this. And so all that we talked about today is transitioning us from understanding ourselves as the man who was beaten in the story. We've talked about that, how Jesus came to meet our needs. And so today we talked about how can I not be like the two people that just walked by their neighbor. And so eventually, next week and beyond, we're going to be talking about how can I be like the Samaritan and love my neighbor. And so the next step today, before we transition to talking about becoming the Samaritan, the choices today about not being the priest or the temple assistant is what choices do I need to make so I can love my neighbor? That's today's next step. And so maybe one of the four choices hits you more like to the point than the others. We, we talked about interruption, letting Jesus interrupt your life. We talked about safety, praying God for courage rather than safety, just being with people and then to see the people in my path. Whatever choice you have to make, I pray, Lord, that I pray that you would see that and let God touch you to be able to, to see your friends, to see your neighbors, to see your family members, and to see them as your neighbor. And so I'm just going to pray, and you can, on your connection card, you can maybe write one of those things or, or check one of the boxes, but we just want to pray with you um, throughout the week, so you can use this time to fill out a prayer request on there as well. But just think about, God, who are you putting in my path so that I can not be the guy that walks on the other side of the road, but I can be the guy that gets involved in their lives to help them, just help them through their situation. So God, we just come before you today. We say thank you for being the good Samaritan in our story by coming to this earth and and saving us from our sin and from our religious attitudes, God. And I just pray, Lord, that we would trust in that and put all of our hope and all of our, our time into that, that we would trust you to lead us on what you want to do this next, God. And so I pray for each person here for the choices that they need to make whether it's relating to their time, about just seeing people for who they are and just being with them. God, Lord, whatever it is, God, we just say, God, Lord, speak to us, God. And when we see that someone that we wouldn't just pray that you would send someone else, but we would pray that we would go and be the people that meets their needs. God, open our eyes this week, God. Give us minds to understand situations that that maybe scare us, God. And Lord, let us have the courage to move forward and to trust in you always. In your name, amen.